0: Hey, we're just about to jump into the episode, but before we do, did you know we have a junior friendly Discord community? It's completely free to join. If you want to join us, the link is in the description. We'd love to have you. All right. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to a web development podcast episode where we help aspiring developers get jobs and junior developers grow. A little while back, I brought on James to talk about becoming a software engineer and test actually. So it's very coding related, uh, very coding adjacent. And I even had a buddy of mine that uh, was a software engineer and test actually become a software engineer. So um, you might even consider kind of this path if you just want to dive into coding. I think it's one of the few options where it can actually lead to a traditional software engineer path. And I know a lot of people just kind of stick with becoming a software engineer and test. They love writing automation. They love writing tests. So uh, I want to explore this path today.
1: I've known a lot of guys who do the exact same thing. They start as an asset and then they transition to software development.
0: Cool. And I mean, you might find that you really like this there. Um, actually. Yeah. So today we're just going to dive into how do you become a software engineer and test kind of touch on it surface level and I'll actually link the video in the description below. Uh, but we want to go into more depth. And so essentially I brought on James again to talk about like, okay, so we've convinced you uh, that this is a path for you. Software engineer and test. It sounds interesting. You want to pursue it now. How in the world do you do that? Right. So we're going to go over as much as we can, step by step. Um, and especially like we're going to give um, a path forward that isn't necessarily costly. Like James is going to break that down. If you want to go to the self-taught path with becoming a software engineer and test, how do you do that? So uh, we'll go ahead and jump into it. Um, James, you want to give a a little short intro about yourself and then we'll jump into the Outline.
1: Sure. Um, and it was interesting. The first time Don reached out to me when I when I came on the f- podcast the first time and looked up your podcast, Don, I was interested because you talk a lot about coding boot camps and I attended a coding boot camp like you did uh, many years ago, which piqued my interest initially. Um so nice. I attended a coding boot camp, got hired as an debt from my coding boot camp. Um, I've been working as an debt for seven seven plus years now. Um, started Lots of people. It's very, very common. Start as a manual tester and then kind of make their role into and into the SDET kind of step up into the SDET role. It's actually super common to start as a manual tester, step up into the SDET role, then step up into the software development role. Kind of like baby steps. Um, I started right into the SDET role since I had gone into a coding boot camp. I skipped the um, I skipped the manual role. Um, so I, I worked initially at a company, um, in Nebraska, um, eventually moved on from there and, um, worked as a contractor and I've been doing that for a number of years now. What number in of years? Uh, three years now as a contractor, three and a half, three and a half. Ooh, my heavens, I guess it's getting closer to four years. Okay. Time flies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes, it does. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, let's, um, so, you know, I, I feel like, um, if, if, you know, anyone wants to kind of get a bit of an intro of like what it's like to be a software engineer and test and we, we touch on a lot of topics. You're welcome to watch the video. But I, I say we just jump into things. So you approach me. You want to talk about, OK, so for people that actually do want to become a software engineer and test, um, I have a plan for them. This is what I think they should do. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into it. What's step one?
1: Sure. So you've got like a traditional role, like a traditional path that you do, like an SDET path that we talked about, like get a job as a manual tester. It's a lot, I wouldn't say a lot easier, but um, it's common except to get a job as a manual tester and move it from there. Again, lots of people, I'm having trouble finding jobs, get into the tech world, break it into it. I want to do something that that makes me stand apart and show that I, I'm driven, I've got drive. Um, it. You should spend time hiring and interviewing me versus somebody else who has no experience. And so like you were talking about, I was sitting down, you were having lunch together. Um, I was actually having lunch the other day. The first thing I always recommend is um, start learning a language. The first thing, if you're getting into the Estet world, um, there's a number of really popular testing languages, automation languages. Um, For decades, number one has been Selenium. Um, and if you're going to go the Selenium route, um, Java and C sharp are kind of the kings in the Selenium world. Selenium has it has libraries for tons of different languages. In um, my usage of Selenium, um, and other devs who I worked with agreed that uh, Java and C sharp had kind of had the most uh, mature libraries of Selenium. And we felt like we were able to use it to its most, to it, to its greatest benefit with those languages. Um, like I said, it's kind of been the king for a long time. Um, it has some drawbacks as well. It has some pluses, like everything, pluses and minuses. And uh, some of the minuses of Selenium is lots of overhead. Um, it's it, it takes a lot of work to keep the lights on with Selenium. But it was really the first automated testing language, a library that was that was reliable and successful. Um, You've had in the last five or so years, you've had a lot of JavaScript testing libraries come out. There's always been there. There's been Mocha, there's been Chai, um, there's been other JavaScript testing tools. Selenium has JavaScript testing as well. I don't think it's that great, but I'm biased. Um, there's some great ones now. You've got Cypress, which is probably the most popular when it comes to um, JavaScript testing, and you've got... Um, what is it? Uh, PageWatch, I think is the other one uh, that's becoming pretty popular. Um, Cypress, Cypress has got years on PageWatch, has tons of uh, support as well. Um, so if you and I were sitting down you're like, I don't know anything, like what path should I start going down? I would recommend learning JavaScript first. And there's some great resources out there. Um, and we had talked last time, now, one of the attractions of being an SDE is not like as intense. And we use the word intense with air quotes. Not as intense mm-hmm. as software development. Um, one of the things that uh, chatting with other people—I'm not sure if you felt this way, Don—but going to a coding boot camp, I, I felt like they they crammed a lot of stuff into a short amount of time.
0: Oh yeah, big time. And
1: I I felt like either more time would have been appreciated or less content would have been appreciated.
0: Yeah. yeah, with with software engineering coding boot camps, it's um, they really really slack on the testing, it and they really focus around about three to four months. There are holes everywhere in the coding boot camps, but
1: it's sure. just they, they overpromise and they underdeliver in lots of areas.
0: They do, um, and it's it's tricky because a lot of companies with software engineering positions, well. It's just a variety, like some companies will really prioritize testing and some won't. And it so it, it's uh, it's very tricky to prepare, you know, software engineers for all positions. So they do their best. And usually testing gets tossed out the window.
1: And in, in that uh, in that vein, um, I was saying is I always I always felt like. Coding bootcamp should focus on like we're going to teach you front end or we're going to teach you back end and be more focused. I like one of that. the positives, one of the positives I like about testing is it is more focused. Um, the, the point I was trying to make was um, that it seems all of the coding bootcamps out there are full stack, and they use that term a lot. It, it's, <laughs> and it's obviously an industry term, but I feel like they don't give enough time and enough depth to really establish you as a full stack junior developer. Um, in a normal coding bootcamp, and that's one of the pluses of test automation. Like you're not, you're not quite um, a a software developer. When I'm when I'm talking with like friends or families um, and joking around, I'm like I'm like a wannabe software developer, mm-hmm. um, and so it's it, it's to that extent. So uh, picking up a language, learning um, um, learning test automation can often be less intimidating and um, going straight into software development. And so if, like I said, you and I were sitting down, we're having lunch chatting, um, you know, like I, I have no idea, Selenium, Cypress, that makes no sense to me, just tell me what to do. i say start learning JavaScript. Uh, there's some there's some great resources out there. Um, and I only say that, like we talked about how Selenium was king in Cypress. As a contractor, I'm always finding new jobs. I'm always applying for new jobs. And what I've seen, at least myself, when companies are starting new testing frameworks, they're not doing it with Selenium anymore. They're doing it with Cypress. They're doing it with PageWatch. They're doing it with other um, JavaScript-based testing languages that um, have really started to mature and are, are becoming really effective testing tools. Um, you have tons of companies out there. Um, if you're really good with Java, you're really good with C Sharp, um, you're making that transition. There's There's still some great... There's still lots of demand for for Selenium, um, especially uh, companies that are already using it and they don't want to, you know, we've got years of testing built into this. We've got hundreds of even thousands of tests. Um, we're not gonna make a switch over to something like Cypress um, when we've been using Selenium successfully for so long. So there's still a lot of demand out there for Selenium, but from what I've seen, at least to me, it feels like there's less of it um, every year and more of JavaScript-based testing frameworks. Um, hence why i would say if you're new to the field start with javascript cuz i feel like that's going to be the future
0: so that that's interesting to hear do you feel like so if someone hears this and they i still feel like they'd be a little curious about like where do I start? What exactly, like what kind of tests do I write? Like, do I need to learn to code and build features and build projects and then add testing to those projects? Do I contribute to open source? And, you know, like, do I contribute automation tests to already built out features to open source? Like, where where do I start with that?
1: Sure. So when traditionally, um, and I've had lots of experience training new Westets, I guess I should have put that in my introduction, but um, <clears throat> I was in just the unique position that I was involved heavily in, in, in lots of training programs. And it's something I really grew to enjoy and love. And throughout my career, I've done tons and tons of training. Um, and when I train people, I don't train them, at least as they're acquiring a language, I don't train them just as testers. Like I train them for language acquisition. So when I say learn JavaScript, like initially, as you start picking up JavaScript, we use that as an example in this. Uh, We'll use that language in this example. Um, I wouldn't say learn JavaScript to write tests. I'd say just learn JavaScript. Uh, There's some great resources out there. My favorite is learnjavascript.online, not affiliated with them in any kind of way, Um, but it's a really well put together program. And uh, I really like that. Like you said, go out, build small projects. What I found really worked well when I'm teaching my students or teaching... Um, new assets. Um, For example, we'd start with a small project. Blackjack would be was a very common one that we do. Say, here's blackjack, and we, I'd be teaching them in Java because we were where I was working. I was a Java Selenium shop. I'd say, hey, build this blackjack game in one method, Java Selenium. And they've been, you know, they spend a day or two, and they they build blackjack They're like Excellent. Then we start talking about. Object oriented programming. We start talking about methods and classes or functions and classes. Um, now we're going to take this blackjack game. We're going to break it into multiple, multiple methods. I call it methods because that's what it was. Multiple functions, we're going to start talking about communication between, between methods, between functions and how to hand that information back and forth. We'll split that into different, into different methods and we'll split into different classes. We'll talk about communication between classes and we slowly make that more and more, um, advanced. We add, all right, now, hey, it's starting to look good, add bidding in. So you can bid on a blackjack game. And if you go, but such amount, you bust. And you only have so much in your bank account. So make sure you create your bank account. And how are you going to store that data that's in your bank account? And you know your dollar amount, where are you going to set it, et cetera? And it slowly grows in complexity um, as it gets larger. And teaching all of that, I want them to gain a, a solid understanding of the core foundational principles of the language that they're learning. Um, and so, once I teach that, then I start introducing testing. In this case, it was Selenium. So once I feel like, hey, you uh, you have a solid understanding, and usually when I when I'm teaching the language section, um, <clears throat> I would give them a project. Like uh, another common one we use it was an address book. Like in and you laugh about building a GUI in Java, but um, I, oftentimes I haven't built a GUI in Java. Um, Build a building Java, pull up the address books, you edit, delete, add, et cetera, in different contexts of the address books. and, and How can you contact people? A, a much more complicated uh, project that, that started off very complicated. That was kind of like their graduation from core Java. Um, and from there, uh, we jumped into testing. And usually we build a testing framework, in this case in Selenium. So it's it's similar to... Like I said, I, I start them off learning language. What you're going to do is you're going to learn a language. And the more you know of this case in JavaScript, the more you know of the language, the more successful of an asset you're going to be. That's
0: good advice. You you mentioned that you would set them up to build a testing framework. What does that mean?
1: Correct. So <clears throat> um, as you're testing, you've got your framework that manages your tests for you. And, you know, Selenium, whether it's Selenium, whether it's Cypress, it's going to handle the logic of the framework, the functionality of the framework. Um, for example, uh, Selenium runs off of the page object model, basically. So this is what a page object is. This is how you set up your framework. So you have your base page with its base functionalities that is shared across the framework. Um, you have different page objects that um, contain the data of those pages, how they interact. Maybe you have Cucumber, maybe you don't. Um, just Just how you're going to test. So the framework contains a logic and functionality of your testing how so do you we'd... oh go ahead, go ahead. no i say we we'd introduce that we'd walk them through it we show them examples one thing in the boot camp i went to and don't get me wrong i had a really positive experience in my boot camp um if anybody asked me i was like yeah I'd, I'd recommend it i i went there you know what almost eight years ago now so Things could have changed, but I had a great experience there. However, one of the, one of the gripes I had is I never had any idea why I was learning what I was learning. They just like, now learn this and then learn this. And mm-hmm. I was always like, why? Like I, I don't understand where this fits in and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so one of the things I like to do is take a testing framework when we start, like this is, you know, a Selenium testing framework. This is a cyber testing framework. When you build it, this is what's going to be the end product, what it's going to look like. This is why you're learning core Java. So why are you learning JavaScript? Um, so yeah, go out there, take a look at Cypress. Especially has great documentation. You can download a small example framework and uh, run a few really quick example tests, and kind of see like, oh, this is what I'm going to be doing. Um, Free start picking up JavaScript. So it's it's a good approach as well. Um, so i I like to kind of give them that vision, like this is this is kind of the, in my mind, this, I always thought like I would, I would have loved to have had a framework in my mind where I could have put things in place and been like, I'm going to learn, you know, core languages here and this is where it's all going to add and build up to. So I kind of try to mimic that.
0: Yeah. It, so I think it'd be incredibly convenient when I had asked you like, what do you mean by framework? Um, I get what you do. I think it'd be convenient to be able to just see a bunch of tests laid out. And also context around like why certain things are being tested. So I think a lot of people might even look at open source projects and see um, unit tests and integration tests, et cetera. And they, they look through and they see all these tests, but they don't really. And I'm speaking for me as well. Um, like we don't really comprehend exactly why this is being tested but this other thing is not being tested. How, like, especially when you're newer, how do you go about figuring out, like, what's an important test to write? And, like, what, what are we supposed to test? And what are the, yeah, we'll just start with that. I have more questions, but we'll start with that.
1: No, sure. So, sure. Start picking up a language. And why I said you start, I'm getting to your question, but why you start picking up a language. First, there's, there's supportive technologies that come with learning a language like Git and JIRA and other things that you can pick up while learning the language. As you're building projects in JavaScript, um, you know, you should have a Git repo that you're pushing and pulling to um, every day as you're working on those projects and teach yourself Git. Um, Learn Atlassian, either uh, Bitbucket, uh, JIRA, um, these supportive technologies as well. Um, And that kind of, as you learn a language, these kind of come naturally. Um, But what tests to write, Um, it's uh, the easiest way, obviously, is just to learn by doing. But testing, like I always say, it's a mindset. And if you if you have no introduction and no guidance, um, it can be difficult to get that mindset of why you test what you test and why you don't test what you test um we had mentioned the ISTQB previously the last time we were on the international standards of testing qualifications board i think is what it stands for um and you can take the tests and get the get the qualifications if you want i don't see a lot of value in them as far as your career goes um but what they kind of do if you download the syllabus for ISTQB testings it kind of, it has a great um just kind of introduction to kind of what's considered the, the gold standard of testing vocabulary. And like any like anything, um, different companies, like this one thing, one company, when they say unit tests, they might mean a number of things. So their company says unit tests, they might mean something else. Um, the ISTQB, they say, this is what a unit test is. This is what an end-to-end test is. This was a black box test. This is what a white box test is. Um, and you can read through and get all those different definitions. Um, and I think that's valuable. Um, looking at like how to test resources, there's a couple of other resources. Like if you just Google like how to write tests, I'm trying to think of uh, softwaretestinghelp.com is another one that has lots of lots of good examples. Just I want to understand why I'm testing what I'm testing. Um, these type of resources are good places to go for information. Okay. I'm not sure if that answers your question or not.
0: Yeah. So, and I'm I'm trying to think about the mindset. So I I like your
1: because we have I mean we have conversation if you're trying to and as you're you're trying to articulate your question, um, you know, like we have these type of conversations all the time as we start, you know, um, testing with a company. Like, should we test this? Should we test that? And you know, like, um, do we test text, for example, on a page? You know, it's always kind of a give and take and different companies have different approaches to it. I you know I've worked for companies, you know, it's like, we don't test the, the actual text on a page, like what it says, because especially as they're building the application, that text changes all the time. And so when you're testing the actual test, your tests fail. And then you got to go in and, and update your, yeah, spend a whole bunch of time always continually updating your test because the test is, the text in your test is just changing. And so when you were, when you were asserting that oh, the test equals this, now it's now it's changed, your assertion fails. Um, I have other companies like we understand that that's you know a, it's the investment in time upfront. but by the time we've nailed the text down, like we feel a lot more comfortable having tests that verify that actual text and that it's spelled and, and um, the entire sentence there, et cetera, like it's supposed to be.. And uh, so it makes them feel fuzzy inside. So in those cases, we verify the actual text. Um,
0: <clears throat> it it essentially sounds like, I mean, a lot of companies are going to have different priorities for what they want to test and what they want to maintain. And, you know, something as um, common as like text on a page that's going to change like, they, you know, a lot of websites are going to have copy with tons of different pages. So I feel like that's going to constantly require a lot of upkeep to be able to change those automated tests. But some companies might not want to invest the resources into updating all the automation tests. So like as a brand new developer, you're essentially saying like really get the fundamentals down, learn the language. You're not learning the language to test. You're like, you really want to focus on the fundamentals and you want to focus on, you know, learning what you can to be able to build something. And then what kind of test we write to be able to ensure that the functionality remains with this application. So like with someone gonna that is.
1: A, you're going to write, and I know exactly where you're going. You finish it okay. if you want. I didn't make it draw. So, um, Go ahead. You're going to write a we'll lot see. of what we call UI tests. Okay. When you first start writing tests, you're going to write a lot of, I'm going to navigate to this URL. I'm going to make sure that these elements are here. And you know, I, uh, while training you know, other testers, I, I throw in tons of different verifications. Make sure this text says this, even though if they're not going to test it, you know. Make sure this color matches this color, like it's supposed to match. And I give them color matches. And wow. Make sure that these things exist and these things don't exist. And make sure that you have negative tests. You know, and just lots of random UI things. And what's that, What that is going to teach you is just able to find selectors, which is another huge thing that you do as a tester um right clicking on an element on a page inspect so we talked about learning javascript um whether you go you decide i'm going the cypress javascript route or i'm going selenium java or selenium c sharp route um learning html and css as well um is important you don't have to be able to build web pages with html and css and javascript but you need to just be able to right click on a page inspect it and just kind of understand what you're looking at
0: That makes sense. Do you feel like you focus more on writing automated tests for the front end versus the back end?
1: I do because um, I have it just happened as I started my career. My first client that I spent two years on was UI heavy. Um, So I spent I spent the first two years of my career on just UI tests. And that (laughs) that made me a UI tester. Um, So every time and I'd write an API test here and there. really no mobile tests I've, I've done some mobile testing since then of course but um every time like yeah I, people would ask me and how's your API testing I'm like you know I always want to do more API testing but every time you know somebody hires a contractor they don't want to hire them to learn a new skill you know to pick something else up they want to hire them for their existing skill set sure so I'm a really good UI tester and over the years I've gotten better at API testing and I'm, I'm competent with my API testing as well um but that was always a struggle. Um, not the API testing itself, but gaining the opportunity to do more API testing. Okay. Uh, and those are the, those are. I don't want to say those are the two big ones: API and UI testing. Uh, they kind of are, and they kind of aren't. As an SDET on a on a Scrum team, um, learning and and writing tests to fulfill um, acceptance criteria in your stories, the majority of that will be um, UI testing and API testing. And as a new tester, the majority of the testing you do will be UI and API testing. As you gain more, you might get lucky, and as a new tester, they chuck you right into something like mobile testing. And you get a niche where you spend the first two years of career really getting awesome with mobile testing. And then you got a niche that's in high demand. So cool, good for you. Um, I've, I've branched out since then, of course, and done stuff like performance testing. You can get into the performance testing, which is a whole thing of itself where you've got load testing and stress testing and lots of different types of performance testing, um, mobile testing. Um, there's security testing, which honestly I have another ton of security testing. Um, but as a new as a new SDET, the majority of your time, especially if you get hired as an SDET, you're working on a team, is going to be spent doing UI and API testing.
0: Do you? So even, do you I'll think you'd ahead. be comfortable with API questions, um, or do you want to focus on UI?
1: What do you? I mean, so if you ask me to write a test from scratch an API test, I might have to have to pull out my Google really quick.
0: Okay. Well, no. So, like you you mentioned that um, you've. We can focus on UI testing because you mentioned that's where your expertise is. So um, you mentioned there's essentially two different paths typically that you're going to be hired as an SDET. It's going to be kind of focused on writing automation for UI, automation for API. Um, So I actually, we can dig into the UI stuff because I actually feel like API, I'm a little bit stronger with UI, not so strong with. So with UI, we kind of. Either
1: way, way, I've I've done both. So.
0: Okay. If we have time, we can jump into api but for ui there seems to like i always hear different opinions about exactly what to test with the ui and you've mentioned like a big uh, big push is like cypress let's let's actually just uh pause on that with cypress specifically what is cypress testing and how is that different than other types of automation tests on the front end um
1: so cypress is a testing language, a testing framework, um, written in JavaScript. Um, like, um, for example, Selenium is a li- a testing library. Cypress is a testing library written in JavaScript. Selenium is a testing library lit- written in whatever language you're testing with it. Um, <clears throat> so your question is, what are you testing with Cypress? Yeah. You can you can test anything with Cypress that you can test with other testing libraries. Um, You can do UI testing. You can do API testing. The one thing about um, you can do some mobile testing as well. Um, Once you step outside of UI and API testing into into like load testing, for example, Cypress, Selenium, they don't handle load testing very well. Um, You're you have lots of you're trying to mimic lots of users hitting the website at the same time. Um, oftentimes into the tens of thousands or millions, and it's it's difficult. You know, you can you can do loops and and um, arrays, et cetera, et cetera, and 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 start ramping up that load. But it, a framework that's built for UI and API testing just really doesn't shine when it comes to load testing. And there's everyone understands that there's there's um, load testing software out there that you use, um, but mainly we're using something like Cypress. You're going to be testing the UI or the API.
0: What about the UI or API was so we'll stick with the UI. What about the UI? Are you specifically testing with Cypress?
1: I can anything that I want to test with the UI. I can test with Cypress. So um, and then this this is getting more into the conversation of what do you test in the mindset of testing? Um, yeah. But for example, um, especially as a new tester, you're going to be doing lots of assertions and lots of verification tests. They're not called verification tests or assertion tests. Um, you know, you're going to you're doing lots of what we'd call in the industry what most companies call unit tests. It's they're incorrectly called unit tests because technically unit tests are written by developers to to verify their code. But what that means is you're testing at the unit level. Um, I'm logging in and I'm making sure that these things that the developer is building on this page exist on this page. Um, you're going to do a lot of a uh, url verification as well as well you know a, a common um unit test uh would look something it could look something like i navigate to this url i verify that the url ends in blah 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 you know home or um login or um you know whatever whatever page i'm supposed to be on i verify that elements one two three four five however they exist on the page dot should exist or have whatever text in them or color in them or whatever I'm looking for um, are just there. Um, And then once my verifications are done, um, I could perform an action or I could just end my test. Very basic, very basic test. Um, Obviously the purpose of a test, like a unit test is to just verify that the development has been done. Um, And as development The real purpose of testing, doing automated testing, um, is building up a large supply of automated tests, what we call a regression suite. So three, four, six months down the road, as development continues, um, you suddenly have 100, 200, 300 plus of these tests, and you can run them on a daily or weekly, however regular basis that you want to, and it starts to give you a health of the application. Like, hey, last night at 3 o'clock in the morning, we ran our entire regression suite, which consists of 300 tests that our testers have run, and 90% of them passed. I'm like, oh, it, uh, that's that's good. That 90% passing rate, it's it's good. It seems to indicate that the application is relatively healthy. We'll go in, we'll look at those 10% and see why they failed.
0: It almost, like, the more you talk about it, because... Um, <sighs> you can do, it feels like you can do a lot of what you're talking about through something like React Testing Library, if you have a React application. It almost seems like it's kind of like blended together a bit. And I'm wondering if someone wants to become an SDET, do you feel like it's it's worth spending a lot of time writing very specific unit tests and testing all of your functions, or do you feel like they're going to be spending majority of their time, um, writing a little bit more like end to end tests where they're mimicking a user behavior.
1: That was the next, the next topic I was going to segue into, um, a number of companies I've worked at the developers bring up that exact topic. Like, Hey, react has a great unit testing library. And it does basically, what you're saying that Cypress does. Therefore, if I, Don, is a developer, and I'm the tester, Don writes his unit tests and it verifies that it's all there. Like, why are we having James then write a Cypress test to do the exact same thing? It's like having manual testers. We usually have manual testers on the team as well. You, you always do a little bit of manual testing, but like, you know, if I write an automated test, why would I have a manual tester and then going manually test what I just automated tested? Like I just tested, it, like I know it works. Like you don't have to think over and test it again. So same kind of argument. And <clears throat> I, I've worked on a couple of different um, companies where that was kind of the mindset. Like we're gonna have the developers write the unit tests because that's what actually is supposed to happen. Testing at this unit is the developers and automated testers will just write end-to-end tests. Um, mimicking user experiences. And so you have another common test is your end-to-end test. What that does is mimics a common user experience of the application. Say if I was using Amazon and I was writing an end-to-end test I might navigate to amazon.com search for a particular pl- product, click on the product I'm looking for you know we of course we' we'll be doing assertions that we're on the right page and the right product is there. add it to the cart, check out, Enter my payment information, click buy and verify that I got, you know, the correct success message like, congratulations, you have purchased, blah, blah, blah. Um, I could even do an API ping to whatever email server I'm using and um, verify that I got the email telling me that, hey, your product is, your purchase is, is successful or is complete. So that, that might be a, an end to end test that you might write uh, as an STED as well. And you write you write lots of end-to-end tests as well. Okay. I so feel as you, naturally as you start writing unit tests, and this is we talked about, you know, I talked about training and building slowly upon what you learn. As you write lots of unit tests, you inspect the page, you start getting good at writing selectors, it it almost starts to feel like you're just clicking unit tests together to write end-to-end tests. And so, hence why it's common to start off software writing unit tests. Because like, hey, yeah, I can write a unit test and test anything at the unit level. Why can't I write an, an end-to-end test now? Like, it's the same thing. You're just writing it. You're just taking all your unit tests and clicking them together and mimicking a larger flow.
0: That makes sense. Do you feel like software, um, so SDETs, do they focus more on end-to-end tests than they do? On unit tests or like, is that just a software engineering field specifically for unit tests?
1: Um, Looking at the numbers, no, we write more testing at the unit level. than Interesting. Okay. And oftentimes the reason for that is the application is still under construction. It's still being developed, Mm. still being actively developed. So you don't have an end to end. Like the project I'm working on right now, we don't have an end to end yet. So I can't write an end to end test. Um, and so we do, we do lots of, I don't write lots of, um, um, tests anymore. I do lots of my time training other testers and, um, doing load testing and, um, other types, but, um, the testing team that I'm in charge of, they spend the majority of their time writing tests at the unit level.
0: Gotcha. So it sounds like a, a big focus, especially in the beginning should probably go Towards, you know, building out your project, learning the fundamentals enough to be able to, you know, build out basic projects and then focus on building a lot of unit tests and creating that test coverage through unit tests.
1: It's true. And it's even with a little bit of guidance it makes it a lot easier. Um, reaching out to people over LinkedIn and just asking questions to somebody who's an asked that is an easy way to get a little bit of guidance. Okay. And you, you don't need a ton if you're driven, you're intelligent, you're motivated, you really want to learn it yourself, Like you can pick up most of it without tons of guidance. Like I said, the documentation, if you're willing to read a lot of documentation, Cypress has excellent documentation. And um, One thing they've really done is really nailed the documentation so you can read through. And they have tons of documentation. Read through the documentation. Um, and one thing about Cypress is it's super easy to pick up in your own. Selenium, compared to Cypress, is not easy to pick up. Um, I don't want to say that it's hard, but like I said, it's got a lot of overhead. Um, and there's, yeah, it's the learning curve on Selenium is steeper than enable something like Cypress.
0: I feel like so, you know, people in their local area, local big city, or wherever they want to work, you know, they can look at job postings, see what companies are hiring for too. Like, is it worth it? Like, if ever, 99% of positions have Selenium, maybe it is worth learning C or Java. If it's JavaScript, and they, because like, I've seen a lot of job postings, they'll post Cypress. They'll, yeah. like, that's a pretty common thing to list.
1: It is. I've seen it more and more over the years. I remember when I learned Cypress, it was kind of by accident. I got hired, um, and I got hired for my Java Selenium um, experience. And at the last minute, the guy who hired me said, we're not doing Selenium, we're doing Cypress. We understand you don't know what you're going to learn it. And funny enough, he actually, um, because of a medical condition, went on long-term leave, like, Mm -hmm. days later. And I was, like, completely 100% alone. So I spent a year, like just learning Cypress. Wow! <laughs> and it was company was wonderful to work with nicest people in the world, but man, the, their product I was testing was, was a nightmare <laughs> um, and it was not conducive to be automated. It was built by a third party. They didn't have control over lots of it and it needed a lot of work in every aspect, but especially when it came to the ability to be automated. And so my XPath selectors got really good. Like I'd write like paragraph long XPath selectors to be able to dynamically find and, and manipulate what I'm looking for on the page. We're writing end mm-hmm. tests, but it was it was a horrible application. Great company, wonderful people.
0: though well, I'm glad you got through it. Um, I got a I got a couple more questions, but it sounds like you might have kind of created a bit of a linear outline. I want to give you a chance to like is there anything else you want to share? Cause I feel like I'm just interrupting. Cause I'm curious.
1: Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I, I obviously I write it down. So, um, <clears throat> you know, we start with a language to recap. And like you said, the, when somebody asks me, like, I just don't know what to do, I tell them start with JavaScript. And I always tell them the more JavaScript, you know, the better, because as an SDET, especially um, writing automation, you're going to be dealing with developers all the time. And the less you bug your developers, the better. Uh, the more they're going to like you. So the more develop, the more development skills you have, the better. So the better your JavaScript is, the easier Cypress is going to be. Um, start learning a language. Uh, make sure you know Git. Make sure you know the Atlassian suite. Um, Atlassian's important because they have project management, is something you're going to you're going to be dealing with, and that's mainly Jira. Mm. Every company I've worked for used Jira. And I've worked for lots of companies as a contractor. There is other software management programs out there that some people use. I haven't dealt with any of them. I've only dealt with Jira.
0: And Jira's free.
1: Jira is free for a single user. Yeah. It's free yeah. for up to 10 users, I think. Um, okay. And then when you, when you exceed that, you'll start paying.
0: So I, real quick, I, well, I want to touch on right. this real quick because um, this is a part that a lot of even software engineers fail at. And I'm sure people be getting into software engineer um, in test. It's just the project management side, the scrum side, the um, being able to manage tickets, build requirements. Like this is something people skip on some coding bootcamps skip on it. Like this is important. And before you even jump into JIRA, because I could take a little bit of setup time. Like uh, I believe GitHub has its own project management uh, like it has its own scrum board. Now, like, it used to be a, a Google extension, but, like, you could even start with something simple and then move into something that's um, more usable in professional environments if you find Jira's, like, too too much overhead and setup initially.
1: I'm, I, I will warn you right there. Everybody has a love-hate relationship with Jira. <laughs> it, it's powerful and the fact that it can do everything, but when you log into it for the first time, it does nothing. And <laughs> you have to set up everything that it does and it's tough you've got no experience uh learn as much as you can about scrum so learn javascript learn git those two we're going to go hand in hand set up a a github repo bit um github and bitbucket are the two big Git repositories that you're gonna you're gonna run across and either of those are fine Uh, i've actually used both of them probably the same amount interchangeably both bitbucket and and github funny enough i actually like bitbucket better but there's a personal preference, um, so that's Atlassian as well. Um, make sure you know get. Make sure you know Atlassian, Jira, um, Confluence. Confluence is easy. Similarly, it's just documentation. What do, what Confluence does is it stores documentation about anything you want to write documentation about. And when you look for work for big companies, they love lots of documentation. So you're going to put lots of documentation about lots of different things in Confluence, Jira, Confluence, and possibly Bitbucket, if you don't do Bitbucket or if you know Bitbucket and if you know GitHub, they're pretty interchangeable. Like if you use one and you sign into the other one, it's going to look pretty similar. And you're like, oh, I kind of know how this works. Um, Scrum is another thing. These are kind of the supporting technologies that we talked about and that kind of using learning, learning a language and you're going to store it in Software, you're going to store it in either Bitbucket or GitHub using Git. Um, Create writing tests. You can do that in Jira. Um, you can write documentation and, and Confluence. Like these are supporting these are supporting technologies that you can kind of pick up as you're teaching yourself a language. Um, and like you said, they're they're super important. Understanding, you don't have to master them because you haven't been using them. Um, you haven't been using them at a corporate level for a client. You haven't been working with somebody that uses this. I would, I would say, just understand how they work. Um, if you, if you applied and like you weren't super awesome with Jira, but you just knew what it was and how it worked, or with the rest of the Atlassian suite. Honestly, most uh pretty much every recruiter I've known of they, they wouldn't care and the companies wouldn't care either. Like, but they they'd happy that you knew what it was. And yeah, I've actually been with it. I built some stories. And then if you complained and kind of moan, kind of um snitched and moaned about JIRA, like they kind of laugh with you, be like, Yeah, we hate it too, would we have something else. Like, um, so learn those, learn those technologies. Um, hit the ISTQB. Um, SoftwareTestingHelp.com, I think it was, is another great place to kind of understand um, as you get into testing, start picking up something like Cypress, start writing UI tests, read lots of Cypress documentation, and um, read those ISTQB syllabus, SoftwareTestingHelp.com to kind of help you start building up um, the mindset of a tester. And you'll you'll read a lot of of that terminology and they'll explain what it is. You'll start writing tests like that. And in the ISTQB syllabus, Um, a huge part that often isn't talked about a lot is job searching. Um, And it's it's huge. So if you if you approach job searching right, um, you'll be a lot more successful than just sending your resume out there. To lots of different organizations. And the one thing that my boot camp did do right was teaching you how to get a job. And I've used that skill ever since. If I had gone to that boot camp and that's the only thing I had learned, I would have felt like it was worth my money. Um, so, what I always recommend when people reach out to me, I say LinkedIn, if you're in the software world, like LinkedIn. What I always do—I I have tons, and tons, and tons of connections now, and the vast majority of them are technical recruiters. Um, I look up technical recruiters on LinkedIn, and you're gonna—there's gonna be thousands of them. Um, I write a canned message like, "Hi, my name is James Morin. I'm an estet uh, with so many years of experience. I'm looking for my next contract. I was wondering if you had anything that I qualified for." Just a canned message something along those lines i connect with them and in, in the connect message i copy and i paste that and i do it for hundreds of them i've done it in the past, and now i like I said now i've built enough connections that i i can just kind of put it on my board like hey i'm looking for a job and i have people reaching out to me um get out an excel spreadsheet and keep caught keep track of all of your 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 connections you want to, you know, set a goal. I want to actually connect with two people today. And when I say connect, it means having a conversation with somebody, like a phone call with somebody, uh, an interview. Uh, either of those count. Um, the set a goal, work super hard. Like when they say finding a job is a full time job, like I never really understood what that was. until somebody sat me down and said, "This is how you find a job." I um, and we could have an entire podcast just on going over the resume and making sure the mm-hmm. resume looks yeah. great. Um, if you like cover letters, still, I'm not a cover letter guy, but some guys really still put a lot of importance in cover letters. Um, and you know, teach their own um, how to apply interviews, um, you know, coding questions, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of that's important. But when you're when you're looking for a job like it's especially as a new person. You wanna keep that ball, that sphere of responsibility in your court as much as possible. So like, instead of just sending your resume out to somebody and hoping they get back to you, you're gonna reach out to, hey, we don't currently have anything else, but if you check back in, okay, I'm gonna check back with you in two months. Is that okay? And then put that on your spreadsheet. You know, this is the recruiter, this is their phone number, this is their email address. You know, Step one was, and then I put a note in Excel. Like well, they didn't have anything currently, but told me to check back in two months. So on this date, like you're, I'm going to check back with them. And I highlight highlighted in yellow, like it's still an action that needs to be that needs to be performed. If I have interview with something, it's ongoing interviews. It's highlighted in green, um, and then when when one, of the, when one of those things dies or green or yellow highlighted in red, I it the bottom of the page. Um, I like it. I keep I keep that circle going up, and um, I always find a job.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's really good advice. It aligns with a lot of what I'm kind of what I've shared. And it, like we can go into a lot of that, like the finding a job is a job in itself. There's there's a lot to it um, before I forget one because qu- you did a really good job outlining a lot of even just supportive technologies with becoming a estet. W- would you say there are like, you know, a few soft skills that are like very much appreciated in this type of position?
1: Uh, working as an SDEP? Yes. Um, One of the number one skills, and it can sometimes be an issue, which they say it's a good skill to have, is how to approach developers when you have a bug. Um, And some developers really can really take it personally when you find a bug in their code. Especially, like most developers hate testing. (laughs) And they hate writing their own unit tests. They hate testers. I shouldn't say that. Not that they hate testers. It's the process because they're developers. They want to be developing. They don't want to be making those. Um It's not all. Not all developers. Obviously, I'm, I'm making blanket statements. But when you approach a developer, just uh, um, make sure it's not like a pointed attack. Just kind of make it like a hey, in the Jira story. Um, Hey, I saw you were assigned a story, blah, blah, blah. In the acceptance criteria of the story, it stated that this was supposed to happen. When I tested it, that didn't happen. This happened instead. Then I just send that message over. And almost all the time, 50 to 70% of the time, it's like, oh, I forgot. to. uh, It's because of this or I forgot to do this. Uh, Give me 20 minutes. I'm going to push up the chain, test it again.
0: Um, so don't send a developer the message. What the hell is this?
1: But don't be like, um, hey, I tested your code and it failed. And it's like, okay, well, hey, my code doesn't fail. Like
0: <laughs> you hear that, Mike? Take a lesson. No, I'm just kidding. So, yeah, I, I had a, a tester. He kind of ran the department. Um, good guy, but he would kind of give a shit um, after he built up a relationship. We just we had a good relationship with QA. But, okay, that I mean, that's a really... Important skill. Um, any others that you can think of?
1: Um, being a go-getter, like a general skill, um, especially in the tech world. If you look at the statistics, um, if you work ten percent more than your fellow coworkers, you will receive fifty percent more compensation than they will. When it comes to raising Interesting. And salaries. And, uh, so it's it's a non-linear. Um, relationship between the two. You have to put in ten percent more effort, get fifty percent more value. So, be a go-getter. You know, we, when I was in my coding boot camp, um, there was a couple guys there. Like, they had no problem. Like, there was one guy there. He was a double major in micro and macrobiology. I think it was, and like with like a minor in engineering. And like nicest guy in the world. Super funny. Super witty. Um, uh super nice, great to be around, just one of those guys you hate because he's so nice. Um, <laughs> and he would uh, the coding boot camp went in at 4 p.m. and he'd go to his job in the evening. Like he he had no problems handling the workload at all. Another guy didn't have to work nearly as hard. Like when the coding boot camp ended at four o'clock, I was there till 10 o'clock or 12 o'clock at night. Like that's what I needed to do. I understood, like, hey, it's easier for these guys than it is for me. I'm not going to go home because they're going home. Like, it's not a pride thing. Like, I have a goal to graduate from boots Camp and get yeah. a job. Therefore, I understand the amount of work that I need to put in, and I'm going to put it in. I don't care. And I was there for three months, six days a week, till ten o'clock or midnight every night. And then on Sundays in the afternoon, I I drive back in and I'd work for three or four or five hours. So, and when I got my first job, every night I was there late. Uh, Worked technically at five, out to seven. I was there till nine o'clock. I was I was learning more Java. I was learning AWS. I was learning something else. I was improving my skill set, um, and I was making myself um, invaluable invaluable to the company. And I made more money than guys who had been there for years. And. it it wasn't because I was better than they was, but uh, my boss said, like, I see you every day working your ass off and I'm going to, well, he, he said something along the lines, like, I'm going to compensate you accordingly for it. And so I did like 10 and 12% raises every year where they would get 2% raises every year. Like, and then the company was bought out and the opportunities really disappeared. So I went out and became a contractor, but it was, uh, I loved working there, made some, some lifelong friends working there who I still stay in contact with. And it was a wonderful experience. So. Just don't let your pride get in the way. Like you're there to do a job, make sure you do your job and make sure you do it as good as you possibly can. And if you can't do it good enough work longer and learn how to do it better.
0: Well, and yeah, cause you know, you have this big argument about like pushing to get uh, back against like work life balance, et cetera. But like, there are i've just met people that will do whatever it takes to become invaluable and they recognize kind of like a deficit in themselves like it takes me longer to learn they don't give this like they don't so i i get some aspiring developers that kind of give this it's almost it's not entitlement. Maybe that's too harsh, but it's like, I'm only going to put in this amount of time each day. And they, like, I don't care how much I learn. I don't care how much value I provide to the company. Like this is all I'm putting in. I'm clocking out and I am done. And then they get frustrated when, like a hundred other people are willing to do way more than that. And they, they have an interest, they have a curiosity in it and they struggle with AWS. So they figure it out. But this person that clocks out at five, they're done. I don't want to have to have anything to do with coding. And they're surprised they don't get those raises. They're surprised they don't get those positions. Like I, I mean, so you have people that are going to argue, well, companies shouldn't take advantage of you, et cetera. But like, they're not, you're literally being given the value that you're, pushing for
1: it's you need to make yourself valuable like if you don't have the skill sets to be valuable you're not going to get a job and if you get a job and you're just dead weight when they need to start cutting weight you're going to be one of the first things that gets cut like even as they talk about work-life balance if you have a skill sets that that's valuable you can have a great work-life balance like would i rather spend would I rather get paid for shooting my bow and hunting elk or deer? like yeah sure I would but with my job like I can take the entire month of November off if I really want to go do that like so it's a great work-life balance I remember saying that the one guy like I might have you know the first few years of my career I might have been working 60 plus hours a week but now like when hunting season comes around it's my big hobby like I take weeks and months off to go do it because I can
0: that's a really good point. I like that.
1: You need. What is uh, Dave Ramsey says? Live like no one else, so you can live like no one else. Right? You need to put in the time, the effort, the sacrifice now. When you're brand new, and who do you think they're going to cut if if times get tough? The guy with, sometimes they will actually get the guy with more experience because he's he's more expensive. And I've had that happen to me as a contract, had that happen to me before. Um, But like, it's make yourself invaluable. I I love nothing more. I told you when we were chatting previously, um, a guy reached out to me. And like I said, I've had people reach out to me on LinkedIn pretty regularly asking questions and ask me these same questions like, hey, what should I do? Go learn JavaScript. And I told them what what to go Start doing it with a couple of weeks later. Hey, I did what you said. What should I do next? And I said, okay, go do this next. And I gave him a few more pointers. A couple of weeks later he reached back out. Hey, I finished doing what you told me to do. What should I do next? And I say, how about we jump on a phone call? And so we jumped on a phone call. We chatted for about an hour. I gave him a list of stuff to do. Um, like a month later he reached out, hey, I finished, I finished doing what you what you asked me to do. Like, what should we do next? Let's jump on another phone call. Like, and then we jump on another phone call and so he was super humble about it, super willing to put in. He worked a full-time job. He was willing to work hard in the evening, suit about it. So I'm like, hey, this guy's willing to put in the work. Like I'll uh I'll spend some of my time on those type of people. Like yeah. not I'm not super inclined to help people who aren't willing to help themselves.
0: <laughs> You're preaching the like choir. Yeah.
1: So it's and I've, I've done that in the past. Like you can only yeah. push a stream so far. And so it's with people like this and I recommend it for a job. He's interviewing, he's had a number of interviews and he's, he's interviewing uh, this week, I think Wednesday or Thursday, uh, final interview. I think he's going to get the job.
0: I hope he does. That's, that's really cool. And I, I, I would even argue like if what we're even talking about and putting in that extra effort, it doesn't appeal to you. And you want that work-life balance and fine set, You're like initially, and we're talking about like the initial years, build up that skill, become invaluable so you can have that free time in life. But if you don't believe in what we're saying, then just lower your expectations, lower your expectation for your salary, lower your expectation for your chance at getting a position, lower your expect, like just match your expectations to the effort that you are going to put in. Like that's, it's, that's incredibly important no matter like what career you're going to dive into. So it's really good advice. Um <laughs> no worries. So um yeah, I just realized um we're just slightly over and that that's fine. Um let's go ahead and wrap it up here. Um is, is there any like anything else you want to share, like one final piece of advice for aspiring STES? Uh, is this
1: where you want me to plug myself or
0: you could you could jump into that or give one final piece of advice before you do that.
1: One final piece of advice for estets. I feel like the most important piece of advice is we had talked about. Um, <clears throat> honestly, the um, if I was going to wrap it up, listen back through. We, we listed out technology specifically, as well as supportive technologies. Make a list of that. Write those down. Um, I cannot stress enough how important job finding skills are like you can be the best Esthet in the world if you can't find a job you won't have a job i've always had a job because i was taught how to find a job so in my mind it's even more important than those skills you learn listen to everything i said about finding a job um, look up you can look up advice on on, on the internet how to um, resume advice and make your resume look nice no, I just point keep it a page, keep everything on one line, quantify it as much as possible, make it as applicable as possible the job that you're applying to. That is is the quick resume advice that I throw out. But yeah, and you know, with all of those things that we listed out, like we said, make yourself invaluable. If you have, if you're working hard in the technology, you're working hard on the job finding side, and you make yourself invaluable, you will find a job. Like the demand is out there and the opportunities are out there. If you're willing to live like no one else, you will live like no one else. Like you will find those opportunities because they're out there. It might take you a month. It might take you six months, but if you keep doing it and you don't stop, you will find the job. I've seen it every single time. The people who are willing, willing to make themselves invaluable and do those things, they always get the job.
0: Okay. Love it. Well, um, seriously, uh, For people that do want to become an estate, people that started writing unit tests, you realize like you actually love writing the automation for products and or like you kind of just want to use it as a stepping stone. And it essentially this is one of the few positions that actually can be used as a bit of a stepping stone into a traditional software engineering position. Um, Yeah, I, I think James gives great advice we've had you know, a little less than a dozen people from our community reach out to James after his last podcast episode. He's helped out a lot of people. So um, if you're seriously considering this, um, James actually has a boot camp he's launched. And, uh, you know, personally, like just listening to his advice, I think you should take it seriously. But yeah, James, um, shout it out. What What do you have going on with that?
1: Yep. So, like I said, I have lots of experience training, something that I really love doing. So I decided to uh, start a boot camp this year, thewizard.com, actually thewizard.tech. Website's still a little rough. The content is all up there, uh, waiting for the legal stuff to finish coming through with the LLC. Um, Had to wait for that to finish coming through before I could finalize relationships with people for funding and stuff. Um, Like we had talked about previously, one, thinking back on my own um, boot camp experience, we had said I felt like they really overpromised and underdelivered, and we had talked about time length. And I always felt like an S-step position was perfectly spaced for a three-month boot camp. It's not as intensive as development, especially a full-stack developer. Um, I've trained dozens of people um, who have become incredibly successful SDETs in a three-month time frame. And the comment that I always got is, they can run with the mid-level ests, and they are. They always came back to me and said, "Hey, we're so grateful, so much. We're so thankful. We're so grateful for all of your training. Um, You know, in the job application when I applied for the job, they had me sit down and write a framework, and I just laughed. Like James made me do this a dozen times, like before I graduated from um, from that training. So I started thinking about it and how we're going to make ourselves different. So Launch that launch that bootcamp, thewizard.tech. Keep an eye on it. Like I said, um, all the content's up there. You can apply. You can ask questions through the website. It's there. Probably going to redesign the website. I just wanted to make sure that I got all the content up um, so people can reach out to me over it if they wanted to. Okay. The, the hope is um, that if we're going to do... It's 15K for 15 people over the course of three months... Um, scrum teams are supposed to be more between 7 and 10. In my experience, they're actually between 12 and 15 um, in all of the organizations that I work for.
0: Fifteen k um, for each person?
1: For each person. Okay. Um, the reason why, and you'll be like, that's way more expensive than most other testing um, boot camps that you go to. Usually those are manual testing boot camps. The difference being, um, I'm really good at finding jobs. And what I want to do is I can think of the, the people on one hand, I can think of, of people who are as good at training as I am and I want to hire them and they're not cheap. And I want them to be teaching my potential students so I can spend all my time finding my students jobs. So as soon as day one of the boot camp starts, I want to be plugging potential employers for my students because when it comes to a boot camp, like what's the purpose of it if it doesn't get you a job? But if you pay a third as much as you do coming to my boot camp, but you don't get a job, like it's, it makes no sense to me. So that was kind of the that was kind of the approach that I had with the boot camp. Um, I want it really heavily focused, not only this on the skills that you're going to develop to make you a successful estet, but also in the career portion. We teach all all the stuff we talked about in this podcast. Um, we will teach in the boot camp as well, and you'll also have somebody actively looking for a job for you for the entire three months.
0: Okay. Well, you know what my channel, you know, my brand. So I highly encourage you to be critical of his program as well. And any graduate students come out. Um, I always say good reviews have their pros and cons. So, uh, please feel free. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, if it's three months, six months, a uh, year down the road, like if you liked it, don't like it, feel free to comment. But, um, yeah, that's pretty much it, James. I appreciate you coming back on.
1: Yeah, and not just to plug myself, but guys listening to this, if you have any questions, reached out, reach out over LinkedIn. If you can get yourself a job using any of this information without paying me fifteen K, do it. Don't pay me fifteen K. Don't come to my boot camp. If you have questions for me, reach out. I'm more than willing to answer them. Um, for driven people who want to make themselves invaluable to a potential employer, I'm always willing to find time.